Well, good morning. It is great. Oh, thanks for the response there. It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, it's glad, I'm glad to know that we're all here, awake, engaged already. Um, just wanted to say thanks to Tim for explaining the tube steak idea. That had been bothering me since our Tuesday staff meeting. I had no idea what he was talking about. In fact, I was actually getting excited about it because it was like a, a dish that I had never heard of before. But now I'm not as excited. So, um, thanks, Tim. And also, I wanted to say thank you to our worship team for leading us this morning, leading us into worship, leading us um, into uh, this, this place of worshiping and honoring our Lord and King. I, I think that sometimes because it happens week in and week out, it's easy for us to kind of take it for granted, to forget that, wow, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of effort and there's a lot of intentional thought and prayer that's going into even just arranging the music that we're, we're hearing that is leading us into worship. So I wanted to thank the team for that. And um, we are extremely blessed as a church to not just have one team, one leader, but multiple worship team leaders. So um, that's, that's something really cool. Um, I'm glad that we have that. Um, just wanted to give you fair warning today that we're going to be talking about reading your Bible. So for some of you that have been around church for a while, this might sound like your cue to kind of check out. Like, I already know that. I already know that we're supposed to read our Bible um, I've been here for years and years and years, so this is not going to be news to me. Maybe I'll just start thinking about lunch. Okay, but I want to tell you, just wait. Just give it a chance and wait and hear what I'm about to say because we're going to come at this at a little bit of a different angle than what you might be expecting. Yes, we're going to be talking about reading your Bible, but... I want you to hear a very specific and very nuanced way that we're going to be talking about that this morning. So, to begin, um, this is a syllabus. This is actually one of my syllabi from school. And the reason I show you this is because of this section. This section is called Course Textbooks Required. Every syllabus has one of these sections. And I'm just going to refer to them uh, globally as the required reading section. Now, the syllabus outlines everything that you need to do for the semester. It tells you, okay, this is what you have to get done. This is what you have to check off, this, 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 this. And then if you do that, you get an A. Or at least you pass. The required reading, if you do the required reading, if you buy those textbooks, if you read what's required, you will succeed in the class. This is the world that I've been coming from. The past few years, being through seminary, I've had my world shaped very much by the syllabus. At the beginning of uh, the semester, at the beginning of the quarter, my three or four months has been defined by this. If I do these things well, I succeed. If I do these things well, I get an A. It's a really, really simple concept. But 
Can I just share with you what I've been going through over the past year or so? I've been having to transition from a world that's defined by the syllabus into the real world. But my temptation has been to lean on that default, to lean back into this syllabus way of thinking, into this required reading way of thinking, even to the point of applying that to my spiritual walk with the Lord, even applying that to my daily reading of the Bible. And it goes something like this. If I read this, I'll do well. Read this, do well. The problem is that works well for a season as a student, but it doesn't translate very well into life. It doesn't translate very well into the complexities and the hardships and the trials of life. Just read this and do well. We need something that's going to translate into life. We need more than a required reading plan. We need more than a syllabus. We need more than the guilt that's laid on us if we don't stick with our YouVersion reading plan, if we don't stick with our daily reading. We need something much more if we're, gonna, if we're going to take that and carry that with us into our adult lives. Required reading might work for children, it might work for students for a season, but it won't work for the long run. So we've got to move from do I have to to I can't wait to. Imagine, imagine if that's the shift that happened. The shift from ah, do I have to do this required reading to I cannot wait to. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So we're in part six of a seven-part series called God for the Grown-Up. Okay? Uh, we're saying that a childlike faith doesn't require a child like God. It's a simple concept, but I think it's very hard to put into practice. It's very hard to apply to our lives sometimes. And I think one of the reasons is because we have this idea of required reading that's kind of ingrained in our minds. This idea of a syllabus and checking things off of the list to make sure that we've done everything that we need to do to get an A to pass the class. But if it's not required reading that we're, that we're doing, if that's not what we're after, what are we going to do? I think we've said so far, we've used this quote, the most important thought you can think is the thought you think of when you think of God by Dr. Jeffrey Bingham. We've argued that, yes, it is important. What you think about God is important. And knowing God is extremely important. It's one of the most important things that you can do, maybe the most important endeavor you can engage in in this life. If you haven't been with us, you can go back and listen to those messages. They're building up to this one. They're building up to this one and next week's as well. 
So if we, we've come to that point, if we agree that, okay, knowing God, that's important, then the next question, the obvious question is, how? How do we know God? And then following off of that, the second part is, why is that important? But let's take the first part of the question. How do we know God? And the leading answer is, read the Bible. Awesome. Great. You already all know that. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Great, great job. Thanks for studying and working on this message all week to tell us that. Read the Bible. We're familiar with that. It's been set to catchy tunes. We've heard it since we were little kids going through Sunday school. Goals have been made. Rewards have been set for reading, getting certain benchmarks done. And that's good. I'm not knocking that at all. For children, setting those benchmarks, getting the, getting the sweet tarts or whatever they are, the, whatever those candies are called, for reading their Bible or memorizing their Bible, that's good, but it only lasts for a season. It's only good for a season. It only is temporary. It's only building a foundation. When we grow up, when we become adults, we need something else. We need something more substantial. Children read because their parents and their Sunday school teachers want them to. Students read because it's the required reading. And that's how you get an A. My children do a summer reading program. And they do that program because they know at the end of it, they're going to get Dutch Wonderland tickets. They go crazy for it. And I love the program. It encourages my kids to read. They're building a foundation of reading. But at some point, they're going to grow out of that. That incentive isn't going to hold for them anymore. It's not going to be enough to keep them coming back to their books and reading. Dutch Wonderland is going to lose its appeal, maybe, maybe. Some of us never grow out of that, but I'm going to argue that it's not going to be enough to sustain that day in and day out love of reading. So we've got to change the question a little bit. We've got to add something to the question. We started with how do we know God? But we're going to add how do adults know God? How do adults know God? How do we as adults in an adult world with real-life struggles, real-life challenges, real-life pain, real-life issues, whatever, what is that to us? How do we know God? And um, here's the answer. Don't read the Bible. Now, pause. Before you get up and leave the building, before you start throwing stuff at me, okay, listen to what I mean by don't read the Bible. Show me the commandment that Moses got that says, read your Bible. Tell me or point to the time where Jesus was addressing the crowds, and he says, read your Bible, people. And think about this with me. Think about 
the context that we find the early church, the early believers in Jesus and in God, they didn't have the Bible. So even if they had the commandment written on the stone tablet, thou shalt read your Bible, they wouldn't have been able to do it. They wouldn't have been able to do it. But listen, it's because God has been engaging people throughout history in a very real and tangible way. This is why Jesus, when He walked with His disciples shoulder to shoulder, engaged in conversation with them, engaged in real life with them. He took God, put He was God in flesh. He took the realities of life and spoke directly to His disciples as they were walking through their life, as they were navigating the complexities of life. God has always been engaging His people, whether they had the biblical text in front of them or whether they didn't. And when we look at His Word to us, we don't see a God who's keeping tabs on our version reading plan. We see a God who's literally dying to engage with us. A God who sent His Son to die on the cross so that we could know Him, so that we could communicate with Him, so that we could engage with Him. So what if the God of the universe, the incomparable God, was speaking to us, was speaking to you and me directly. What if he could and would and did speak to us directly? Listen to these words from J.I. Packer speaking to this very thing. What happens is that the Almighty Creator, the Lord of hosts, the great God before whom the nations are as a drop in the bucket comes to you and begins to talk to you through the words and truths of Holy Scripture. Perhaps you've been acquainted with the Bible and Christian truth for many years, and it has meant little to you. But one day, you wake up to the fact that God is actually speaking to you. You, through the biblical message. This is God's Word to us. To you. And to me. It's not just a historical account. It's not just a syllabus. It's not just the required reading that we have to do. Maybe the key to knowing God isn't reading your Bible. Maybe it's about engaging the Bible. Maybe it's about engaging the God behind the Bible. As He has engaged people throughout history, What if it was about encountering God in the pages of His Word where we find stories of God's people trying their best to connect with God and oftentimes failing, but God always coming down to them, always connecting with them, always engaged in our lives? What if we moved away from our reading plan that got us from point A to point B? And what if we moved into engaging the Word? 
your life demands more than a read your Bible program. You know this. Maybe you've experienced this. But why read an ancient text that's thousands of years removed from my life and my experience, from our life and our experiences? What if knowing God was more than required reading? What if it was kind of like this? The Bible is for, and fill your name in the blank, the Bible is for Kevin. The Bible is where Kevin engages God and where God engages Kevin. Put your name in the blank. See how it feels. See how it sounds. Make it personal. See, when we open the pages of the Bible, we find find a God and we'll notice that not the, we're not the only ones who struggle to connect with him. We're not the only ones that have wrestled with, that, with the idea of connecting and engaging with our God. But we will see the stories of real grown-up people going through real grown-up struggles. And we'll see the human drama unfold before us. And we'll learn a bit about God. See, God is a promise maker. He's an initiator of relationships, a making himself known kind of being, a powerful protector of those who will listen, a righteous judge who convicts to expose us to our need of him, and a God who, gets, a God who goes so far as to send his own son to die on the cross so that we could know him and he could know us. We hear God's promises. We see God coming near. We see God engaging and connecting with Abraham and Sarah. Think about their story. He makes promise after promise after promise, and before the first one's fulfilled, another one's added. And when Abraham and Sarah are in their old age, he promises a child. And what does Sarah do? She laughs, and it's laughter of doubt. But that laughter of doubt quickly turns to laughter of joy as she conceives a son and Isaac is born. We see a God connecting in a very real way, in a very practical way, in a very tangible way with his people. Or what about Deborah? A prophetess. Not a prophetess, but a judge, actually. She was filling the role of judge very very important role. And she was the mouthpiece for God. She was speaking to the people what they needed to hear. They needed to hear that God was going to go before them. That God was going to go before them and win their battles and fight their battles for them. And specifically, quite practically, the enemy ruled by King Sisera. And as she obeyed, as she listened, and as she communicated the word coming right from God, the Israelite army marched. And before they even took the field, the enemy scattered. God is a God that goes before us, fights our battles for us. Consider Amos, the prophet. 
He's just a shepherd. He's earned his livelihood by working the fields, by tending the sheep. But then he gets a word from God. God engages him. God comes down and communicates with him something that needs to be communicated with the people. See, God sees social injustice. God sees unrighteousness going on. And he says, Amos, I want you to go to the people and speak to them. And he does. Amos risks his life. He also risks ridicule. He goes to these people. He goes into the city, a place that's unfamiliar for him, a place that's way out of his normal context. And he gets accused of being a prophet to turn a prophet. He gets accused of just being a prophet to make money. And he says, no, no, no. I'm not a prophet. I am, I'm a shepherd. That's my livelihood. But God's given me a message to speak to you that you need to hear. God communicating through his people even when they've turned their back on him. Even when they're not willing to hear. Then consider David. A man after God's own heart. But who while his armies are, going, are fighting in the field, he's sitting at home relaxing on his couch. And it gets worse. Because then he engages in an adulterous affair with one of those men that's out fighting for him. With the wife of one of those men that's out fighting for him. And then it gets worse. He indirectly has that man murdered to cover his tracks. So he doesn't have to have, feel the guilt of what he's done in hopes that it won't come to light. But then Nathan confronts him. Nathan speaks to David and, sa- and reveals the sin in his life that David had been so blind to, in so much denial of. And we see in Psalm 51, David's cry of repentance, his sorrow, his grief, and his repentant heart. Read it. Get a window into David's soul. A man after God's own heart, but a man who'd really messed up. A man that would then struggle to connect with God. A man that would have to deal with the consequences of his decisions for the rest of his life. But also a man that God forgave and showed grace to. We can turn to the Bible and get a picture of God's grace. Think about Barnabas. Barnabas was the witnessing the very birth of the church, the Holy Spirit moving even to the Gentiles. He was seeing the inception of what God had been planning all along, the church coming together, becoming unified for one purpose, the gospel. Barnabas was an encourager of encouragers because he'd engaged with God. He'd seen God. He'd seen the direct results of God's power and his presence. And then finally, consider John. Alone on the Isle of Patmos, exiled there, but not going crazy, not lost to madness, 
because he knew his God and he was engaged with his God. And his God comes to him, descends to his level, and gives him the most glorious revelation of what the future holds, the future hope of heaven. So I wonder, have you ever had any doubt like Sarah and Abraham? Have you ever felt so outnumbered and outgunned like the Israelites that you thought victory was non-existent, but you needed to hear a voice? You needed to hear a voice of confidence, a voice of trust and faith like Deborah's. Have you ever wondered if your voice could influence the community around you? could change the social injustice, could speak into the hearts of the unrighteous and convince them to go a different way? Have you ever needed the encouragement and the witness of the power of God's Holy Spirit and His work in the church and through the church, through us? Have you ever lost the vision for your life and needed that future hope? that future vision. These stories have the power to engage our hearts. They have the power to engage our minds because they're God's communication directly to us. If we're not going to the Bible, where are we going to go? What's our plan B? Tell me, what is the fallback plan if we're not going to the Bible to know about God? Does Barnes & Noble have anything for me? Does Amazon have anything for me? Can I purchase something online that will speak audibly to me? Amazon sells a little dot. I could purchase one of those. It'll interact with my voice prompts. Maybe that's all the connection I need. Or maybe I'll purchase something at the bookstore uh, from scholars and authors that have written about God. But is that really going to help me engage God? Is that really what we're talking about here? And I've got to admit, I've struggled with this stuff. Even as I've been preparing this message, I've struggled with this stuff. It's so easy for me to be drawn into that, that default mode of reading my Bible out of duty, out of obligation, out of the required reading, out of the syllabus plan. It's so easy for me to get sucked back into that. But you know what? I don't learn anything about the true God, I learn about guilt God when I go that route. And guilt God doesn't exist. Guilt God functions and operates on fear and guilt. That doesn't sound like a God that I want to follow. That doesn't sound like a God I want to get to know. But the, the God that we read of when we engage the Bible is altogether different. He is a God that loves us and actually likes us. But we've got to hear this and see this 
for what it is. This is not required reading. You don't have to do it. This is a grace gift. This is a gift from God. It is grace that we even have the pages of Scripture to read. Nope, not something that we're required to read. But this is something that we get to engage with. We get to, not have to. Think about it this way. So if someone gives you a birthday present or a Christmas present, especially if that person uh, likes you and you're good friends with them and they know you, they give you that gift and you receive it gladly. Right? You open it up. You look at it. You see what it is. And then if they are someone that knows you well, they've gotten you a good gift, you use it. You wear it. You put it on. And you wear it out until you need another one. That's what we have in our hands. A gift. A gift from a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And we have the opportunity to know Him through this gift. James, the brother of Jesus, speaks to this very matter in the book titled after him. We're going to go there now. James chapter 1. We're going to read just 22 to 25, but I want to give a little bit of an introduction. I want to start with verse 21. So James chapter 1 and just the end of verse 21. Look what James has to say at the end of verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The word planted in you. That's an image for something living. That's an image for something that's growing. That has all the opportunity to grow. For me, I picture the kingdom of God growing in my heart. The Word, as we look into it, has the power to grow the kingdom in our hearts. So let's look at verse 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is a plug for engaging the Bible. Not out of guilt. Not because it's required. But because it it is an incredible gift and it helps us to see ourselves and God more accurately. As we see ourselves and God more clearly reflected in the stories of real people and a real God, we're better equipped to navigate the complexities, the trials, the struggles of this life. James is not suggesting that we open up the pages of God's Word because that's our duty or that's our obligation. He's reminding us that we can go to the Word and catch a glimpse into the depths of our souls 
and know God's heart in a way we could never see otherwise. Look at verse 25. And after looking, and after looking uh, verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Perfect law. What is he talking about here? I don't think James is talking about uh, just the law as a set of requirements that have to be done. I think he's pointing us to the lawgiver, the one who's given those laws, that as we engage with, as we read, as we, in, as we encounter those laws in the pages of this book, we get to know God, the lawgiver, not just the law, so we can try to follow it the best we can, but to actually know the character and the person of the one true God. He's saying that if we would receive this gift and intently engage, look at the, look at the wording, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, intently engage with it and encounter God through it, what will happen? What does he say at the end of the text? He says we'll be blessed. Not a health and wealth type of blessed. Not an earthly blessing, but a kingdom blessing. A knowing the creator of the universe type of blessing. An assurance of salvation. A security in the one true God. And a relationship. A relationship of communication an engagement that God has come down to us and we can now go to Him. James knew he was writing to forgetful people, people who gaze at the mirror and then walk away and forget what they've seen, forget what they've heard. He knew that. We're all like that. But as we turn to the Word, as we engage with the Word, it reminds us of who we are and who God is. And we see here that James is saying God is just waiting, waiting to pull the trigger on His blessings. To pull the trigger on that relationship if we would step in. This is a gift like no other gift. Here we have the voice of God direct to us, directly to you, directly to me. Listen to what Paul Tripp has to say about this book and what makes it different from any other book. Friends, it would be much easier to pick up a book entitled 101 Ways to Fix Your Life, filled with strategies and techniques to help select and implement the right choices, behaviors, and vocabulary. But that wouldn't solve any root issue. That's why God wrote a better book. It's the only book that provides ultimate hope and lasting change. And I just want to add, because it's coming right from him, right to us. No intermediary. No middleman. Right from God, directly to us. So what's my plan? What are we going to do? So what? Where do we go from here? What's my plan for setting aside the syllabus program and instead engaging the Bible? 
I think some of you have been probably faithfully reading your Bible for years and years. Maybe you're familiar with the Bible and you've been doing your required reading, just chugging along day after day. But if you really stop to think about it, you're not really that excited about the whole thing. Maybe the text has seemed flat. Maybe it seemed powerless to answer the questions of your life that you're actually going through. Maybe it doesn't seem to be connecting with the reality of your grown-up life. To those of you who have been doing the required reading, I would say to you and me, stop it. Why don't you take a pause for a second the next time you're about to open up the Word and think about what you actually hold in your hand. Think about the blessing that this is. Think about the gift that it is. The grace that has had to come from God that we would even have this. That He would want to speak to us directly. And then engage God through the Word that He's given us. Maybe, though, you'd count yourself among the group that hasn't been doing the required reading. You just can't quite get into it. But you're feeling pretty guilty about not being with the program, about not being with the plan. You don't have a you version account. You don't have a nice reading plan laid out for you. And quite frankly, it's because you're not really even sure why you would want to. Some of you have tried, but you've been disappointed. You've read your Bibles, life has hit you, nothing's happened, and you've decided to walk away. Some of you have never given it a chance. You've either lost or you've never found a passion for getting into the Word. To those of you who haven't been doing the required reading, I would say to you, don't start. Instead, why not reconsider what you've turned away from or what you haven't given a chance? Think about it. Understand the reality of what this is. This isn't just a book. This doesn't fit on the shelf as any other book. It it can't be compared to those other books that you see. It's set apart and it's in a class on its own because it's living, it's breathing. And it has the power to engage us right now where we are in our lives. I don't want you to feel like you've got to do the required reading. I want you to know God and be blessed by Him. I don't want you to miss God because you're so dead set on getting that reading plan done completing the required reading and getting an A. That works for children, that works for students in a season of their life, but it doesn't work for the long haul. It doesn't work for adults. What we're we're talking about here happens in community and through connections with other people and God as we engage the Word together.
Letting it be woven into the very fabric of our lives. So don't go rogue on this endeavor. Don't, don't make this a do-it-yourself project. And don't be convinced by whoever told you that this was a required reading. Don't go to this because you feel like that's what you've got to do, that's your duty, obligation, whatever. Go to this because it's an amazing gift. Receive it. Open it. Engage with it. And engage with the God that authored the whole thing. Imagine if um, we decided to stop reading our Bibles and instead, even though we don't deserve it, and it's completely by grace, we decided to engage with God's Word and God's people, experiencing and savoring the fullness of this incredible gift. If you're interested in that, we have ways for you to get connected with other people, with Sunday school, with Bible study, with activities out in our community, with service projects, with mission trips. These are the places where we can engage God, where we can take this, this word of His on the road and make it work. In fact, right now, we've just spent a month developing, a month-long conversation talking about developing and changing and making our Sunday school hour better. We're working to try and make this better. We're working to try and engage this. Not every one of us is here yet. We're not here yet as a church, maybe. But we're working towards it. Imagine. Imagine what it would look like. Imagine what kind of people we would be. What our reputation would be in the community. What kind of freedom and joy would be just normal around here. The grace and the kindness and the love and the peace that would ooze from this place. Imagine the kind of glory and praise God would receive if we would engage the Bible and engage the, the author behind the Bible. Since moving here, my family has felt that. My family and I have felt that very strongly. We've engaged and connected with people that are engaging God. Not just doing the required reading. We've experienced what it means to be in a community of people that aren't just interested in doing the status quo, aren't just interested in doing what someone else told them to do. But they actually really want to know God. And when they go to the text, when they go to the Bible, they're not just doing what they need to do to get an A. They're reading to engage with God. So, what if we stopped the next time we were going to read and considered 
what we actually hold in our hands. What if God was speaking to me, to you, to us? Well, that's one way to know God. But as we're going to see next week, it's not the only way to know God. Join us for week seven as Tim concludes this series and wraps it up for us. God for the grown-up. We'll look at another compelling way to know God. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Word direct to us without any middleman. Lord, thank You for speaking to our hearts through the stories of those that have been trying to connect with You, sometimes succeeding, sometimes failing, but You never giving up on us. You never giving up on them. Lord, help us to see ourselves in the pages of Your Word and help, help us to see You for who You truly are, a God that's engaging us, a God that's communicating to us, a God that's laying down His life to know us, Lord Jesus, thank You for coming to this earth, walking shoulder to shoulder with the disciples and giving us a picture of what it looks like to be fully engaged with God and to be in the world but not of it. God, thank You for James, the brother of Jesus, who speaks to us so clearly through His Word. I pray that you would compel us to go back, get into the Word, not just because someone told us to, but because we want to find you, because we want to engage with you. We want your Word to impact our lives. We want to pick up your Word, store it in our hearts, and take it out with us on the road. Lord, do what only you can do. Change our hearts. Change our minds. And let us witness your glorious plan unfolding right before us. Let us witness your glorious power and experience your presence. Lord God, let us not walk away from your text and forget what we've heard, forget what we've seen. But let us walk away changed with your great power and your great influence flowing from us to change the world around us. Whether that's at home, whether that's at church, whether that's at work, whether that's at school, overseas, right next door, wherever, Lord. Let your power go before us. Fight our battles for us before we even take the field, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.